birds flying high You know how I feel Sun in the sky You know how I feel Breeze drifting on by You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life for me And I'm feeling Rivers running free You know how I feel Blossom on the tree You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life For me And I'm feeling good Dragonfly out in the sun You know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun You know what I mean Sleep in peace when day is done That's what I mean In this old world is a new world In a bold world for me of the pine You know how I feel Oh, freedom is mine And I know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life It's a new
Well, goodness me. <laughs> Thank you so much for that beautiful musical inspiration, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for that song. You know, in addition to being a song about feeling good, this song is also a powerful statement about overcoming adversity and finding the joy and the strength to keep on going in life. It comes from a British musical, uh, The Roar of the Grease Paint and the Smell of the Crowd. And it's a commentary on social injustice and inequality. It's a song about the spirit of resilience and the energy it takes to stand up against oppressive systems. That's what the song is about. So thank you for that. It's the perfect song for today. Today I want to share with you an idea um, that comes from Dante, the Italian poet and philosopher. And the idea I'm going to share with you was very important to President John F. Kennedy. He quoted it, I believe, more than once, as did Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he spoke, I believe, in the 70s or the 60s in New York. And he were, it was in a sermon he was giving, and he was speaking out against the war in Vietnam. And he also used the quote. However... The words that these two great leaders used, that they quoted, are not the actual words from Dante. <laughs> They're a kind of general interpretation of what Dante said when in his works, one of his works, he was describing the fate of people who stay neutral when it comes to dealing with good and evil. Now, before I get to the almost Dante quote, I want to share with you that this whole topic is, well, it strikes a chord in me, especially when I get to think about social issues, human rights, injustices, and the conflicts in our world, and how that intersects with our spirituality, because some sincere and beloved members of our very own community have expressed to me their preference that we keep our spiritual community free from the topics, preferring that the center be a sanctuary away from the world's conflicts. And I, I have empathy for that. These are people I've known for a long time. And at the same time, it creates a dilemma for me. Because my role is to uphold the teachings of science of mind and to interpret the global vision that we read about, the global vision of our organization that describes a world in which we bring our spirituality into every aspect of life and not keep it separate and apart. So our spiritual work, as I see it, is to get deeply connected to our inner self, to the seat of compassion within, and then to let it guide us in everything that we do and say and think so that individually and collectively we are moving daily and definitely forward in the direction of the vision because we are letting ourselves be guided by the values inside of the vision, the values of unity, collaboration, 
equity, equality, forgiveness, and compassion. What is a minister to do? Now, those of you who have been around a while, you know that we love sometimes to sing Jill Jackson Miller's song, the peace song. How we love that. Maybe you even know the lyrics from memory. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Oh, it strikes a resonant chord with us because it matches the sentiment in the global vision, you know. Let it begin with me. That is a crucial and central part of our teaching. And, and it has the same resonance, the same sentiment that is attributed to Mahatma Gandhi. Um, words that he didn't actually say, but which we quote often. Be the change you want to see in the world. A phrase that should likely and correctly be attributed to the social innovator um, Arlene Lawrence. Yeah. A, a woman, and the, who and he has a website that described, that believed that if children growing up in a rough neighborhood had an oasis of calm and acceptance at school, it would improve their lives as well as their learning, and they would bring these positive benefits out into the community every day when they left school. And she started something called the Love Project so that she could be the change she wanted to see in the world. Arlene, not Gandhi. Okay, well, let us get back to the peace song. And then after that, I'll get to the almost Dante quote. <laughs> so let us first look at what the peace song does not say. It does not say, let there be, let there be peace on earth only for me. Now, the song is not a political statement. It, it takes no political sides. It is rather a visionary, an aspirational statement of oneness that resonates with us. And still, the lyrics challenge us because they say, let us walk with each other. And that's the part that we struggle with. The walking with each other part, especially when the walk that other people are on is painful and frightening and difficult and oppressed. Then how do we walk together? One big family we sang a moment ago. What is a spiritual being to do? What is a spiritual being like you and me to do? What should a person who is motivated by the vision of a healthy, loving world and a person who embraces the interconnectedness of all life, what should they do about social issues? And I think knowing the answer to that will surely lead us to feel good about our spiritual lives and our personal integrity. And yet the work of getting to that clarity is what doesn't feel good. It's hard. There is a phrase in the global vision that can help us, I think. It says, 
We see a world in which people live in alignment with their highest spiritual truth. Now imagine if it said, I see a world in which people live in alignment with my spiritual truth. No, that can't be right. That's all wrong. I was talking to a friend about it. We were joking and he said, I don't know about a world that works for everyone, but I sure know what a world that works for me looks like. And in that world, everyone does exactly what I want them to do. <laughs> and that's exactly where the trouble is, isn't it? Right there. Because I have to think about you. I can't be so tuned into my good that it becomes a me-only world. So my idea of a working world has to be large enough to include you. And that's tricky business. The, the problem with trying to make other people live according to my spiritual truth is that it doesn't work. Uh, we, we just need to look at the world to see that it isn't working. And, and we have centuries of history to draw upon to see that. And we don't even have to look that far away in time. We could probably just look close to home in a circle of friends and family and ask the question, what happens when people think only of themselves? So the question on my mind today is, how does my highest spiritual idea help me to treat you with dignity and respect? How does it help me do that? And while I'm figuring out what my highest spiritual ideal is, can I walk with you? Can we hold each other's hand? And if you fall down, will I extend a hand of help to you because my spirituality connects me to you and demands that I do that? So the way I see my work is that it's for me to get so tuned into my spirituality that it affects my choices, not yours. That it impacts how I treat you. That's on me. And if my spirituality causes me to look the other way when you are suffering, I question that. I've been thinking about how I can be selective in, you know, I think it's called selective outrage, you know. Sometimes I struggle with that, you know. When I look away and when I don't. When I care and when I don't. When I get upset and when I don't, you know. I was reading that some people are really upset about how Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie were snobbed by the Oscar nominations committee. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I think they've got some very valid points about patriarchy and unfairness. I think so. Just in reading it, that something felt dissonant in me to be so focused on this issue when in the same world, at the same time, miscarriages in Gaza are increasing astronomically due to the lack of medic medical supplies. When thousands of women and unborn children are at risk right now. 
I read about it in the Washington Post, which is typically a news source that is rated kind of in the center of bias with a somewhat left-leaning. You know, I check that because I, I want to also read diverse points of view to inform my own bias. I like to read different perspectives. But anyway, in January on the 21st, there, there was an article over there that reported that the war in Gaza is making childbirth a nightmare. Delays in the delivery of life-saving supplies have left some hospitals performing cesarean sections without anesthesia. On the website, I saw a video of a baby being born in Rafa. Now, the mother, her name is Wala, I think that's how you pronounce it. Now, she didn't expect her fourth childbirth to like, be a big deal or to spark fear, but it did. Because medical supplies and food were barely none, gone. And she was tended to her by her uncle outside a tent in the dark with nothing but a cell phone light and tin cans filled with hot water to keep the new infant baby alive. There's a video. Now, I have to ask myself, will you look away? I ask myself, Edward, as someone of this teaching, wouldn't you be inclined to be a voice for the protection of the vulnerable? And I have to believe that the answer is yes. Now, I still haven't mentioned anything political. I'm just taking in this information. I'm checking it and double-checking it as best as I can. And then matching it to my beautiful global vision. And matching it to the science of mind teaching that has guided my life for over 40 years and wondering what is a spiritual being to make of it? How can I walk with the wallahs of the world to peace? I can understand why people don't want to think about it. It's awful. I can understand why one of my colleagues has made his center a war-free zone. He doesn't talk about it. But for me, it feels like I'm walking away from my conscience when I look away from the pain of the world. And I'll be honest, and I'm sure you may find a point of agreement, it is exhausting. So I, I also know how important it is to stay spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally well. These days, taking care of our well-being is very important because it is essential to our ability to cope. It's our well-being that enables us to function as compassionate hearts and to be able to make meaningful contributions to the world. And to do that, we have to restock our inner resources. You know, when I'm running on empty, 
my ability to cope and respond and contribute just diminishes. So to me, spiritual living must include daily mindful self-check-ins. Am I creating personal sanctuary and adequate rest every day? Am I taking breaks from stress? Am I setting and respecting personal boundaries? Do I pay attention to those feelings of fatigue or unease? Am I prioritizing rest and nutrition and hydration and sleep? And not so that I can tune out from and forget the world, but so that I can be strong enough to face it and meet it. Now, back to that global vision statement. I want to play with the words a little more. How about this? I see a world in which I live in alignment with my highest spiritual truth. I had to think about that. What is the high truth that I align with? And what does it cause me to do when I align with it? Last week, we had our first AIDS Lifecycle Team bake sale. I want to thank you for all of that support. Do you know there was a time when very few people would even touch somebody with HIV, let alone walk with them? So I'm very grateful for the outpouring of support, you know. And I'm reminded also about the time when I was training to do the 545-mile ride myself with the team. And on that training is when I learned that riding a bicycle that far is more complicated than it seems. (laughs) Because not all bikes are the same and not all bodies are the same. Apparently, you've got to get your bicycle fitted to your specific body measurements. Otherwise, you can end up riding out of alignment. And when you do that, for 545 miles, seven days a week, it can really hurt. Yeah. And it turns out that even a quarter inch out of alignment can really mess things up if you don't tend to it. Because over time, it really causes a problem. You know, I'm thinking about that in the message today. Oh, a little bit of anger is not that bad. A little bit of dishonesty. A little bit of indifference to the world. A little bit of selfishness. Not that bad. A little bit of this and that. But when I practice it into my soul and normalize it, and I let it go on and on and on over time, it can really cause problems. Just like riding the wrong size bike. Once I was on vacation with a group of people and we picked up some rental bikes. And you know, rental bikes is one size fits all. And one of my friends fell right off of the bike when she was going up a short hill because her center of gravity was in the wrong place. Just like when I'm tuned into the wrong stuff or when I'm tuned out of the important stuff. So my work 
the way I see it is to seek out as best as I know how using all the spiritual tools at our disposal and our spiritual education, seek out my highest spiritual truth and then to the best of my ability, daily tune into it and then live in alignment with it so I can ask how does it influence the way I show up in this world? How does it inform me so that I handle my relationships and my business and my commitments and how does it help me respond to the 10 to 20,000 deaths in the world right now through war? All right. Now it's time to get back to the almost Dante quote. The one that impacted President Kennedy and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But before I get to the quote, let me preface it by saying, I do not believe in a physical hell. And I have not read or studied anything in our center's literature that speaks of or teaches about a physical hell. Rather, we have this idea that hell is a state of consciousness that you and I experience in this lifetime when we depart from the center of our inner self. When we deny our compassionate heart. When we deny our connection to others. And when we deny the creative power that resides within us. Here's the quote. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who maintain their neutrality in a period of moral crisis. That's all. So what is a spiritual being to do? I don't know what you're supposed to do. But I'm sure of this that a person who is attracted to this teaching would likely want to be a voice for the protection of the vulnerable, no matter what their race, their religion, their politics, nationality, gender, age. And it is also very clear to me, this is my personal part, that the least I can do is to keep the conversation alive so that those who are suffering are not forgotten or swept under the rug of time as the world's attention moves on to the Oscars. I close with this advice from our founder, Dr. Holmes. What we need to do and what we will always be doing is to express more and more of the divine's nature through ourselves. This is the endless, endless pathway. This is the immortal and eternal endeavor. The continual upward spiraling of our awareness of the divine as us a greater knowledge, a greater experience, and a greater expression of the divine is always our goal. I love that. And I use that to build the bridge into our time of prayer together. I invite you to breathe in with me and to exhale as you let your eyes close. As we link to the words of the opening prayer, there is only one 
whatever it is, life, one creative energy, one power, one that has always existed, exists now and ever shall, was not created and cannot be destroyed. And whatever that is, I am part of it, as is each person in this auditorium and everywhere. And through this unity, I recognize my kinship with all that is and feel my solidarity with life wherever it expresses. And I let my heart feel the resonance to that presence and through it to all that is. I realize that this power being everywhere present means right where I am. And so I turn within to what I call the center of my being to discover it anew every single day, to be refreshed by it, to re be renewed by it, to call upon it for direction and instruction and guidance so that it may continue to open my heart with bravery and courage to feel the world around me. And in so doing, I find no loss of autonomy, no loss of agency, but instead an increasing of empathy and compassion and a flooding in of understanding and power that comes from the resonance of oneness. And so as I speak this word of prayer, I realize indeed it is like planting seeds anew. So that in this moment and every moment to follow, there is a growth within me that takes me on the path of righteousness in my connection to all, in my love and appreciation. And all the time I remain aware of my ability to care for and nurture my inner life. I value it and I trust it. I protect and nurture it so that it may be the, the fountain, the presence, the foundation in my world that causes me to stand up strong and take my place in the community of beings. In deepest gratitude for this and for all that flows from it, I release this word of prayer and I invite you to help close it with me by saying the words we always say. And so it is.